1: Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. There is some times when if I'm out walking with her, she'll see a man on the street, she'll stop and she'll move in. It's a great experience when a dog wants to get closer to you and keeps on pushing into you. you know, leaning into God is the kind of expression we would say in our churches and that's what she does to me. And Every time she does that, I am
0: reminded that that's what I need in terms of my Heavenly Father. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, David Percy was a bit disappointed and frustrated at the way his career path had been going over the course of his life when suddenly he had a stroke. This sent him further into depression, which was showing no signs of letting up. Then one day, he was asked to take care of a dog that had been abused And something wonderful and unexpected happened. So, today we're going to hear a story about a man and his dog. Eric Scatabo is chatting with David Percy, who joins us from his home in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne.
2: Welcome to the program, David Percy. Glad to be here. Glad to have you with us. And so, we're going to find out about the impact this dog had on your life in just a bit. But first, before we get to that, let's find out a little bit about you and your background. Where were you born and raised?
1: I was born in um, Melbourne, in a little town called Heidelberg. I was fortunate to be the son of Christian parents who brought me up to love the Lord and to uh, accept Him as my Savior at eight years of age. And uh, and as a result, I endeavored to follow uh, the Christian way of life, and particularly in the church as my mum and dad had actually served.
2: Okay, so a Christian at a young age, and then you decided to have a career path. What were you interested in?
1: I was trained as a biochemist. I always oh, okay. had an interest in, in medicine and I finished up as a, a qualified biochemist. I worked in a university lab, in a medical lab, and that was sort of what I thought would be my career path. But,
2: but that what happened? Was,
1: that was interrupted by a call up to national service in the 70s and I was drafted and spent two years, two and a half years in uh, a military hospital in Queensland during the time I got married. And uh, after discharge, I returned to Melbourne and worked in a private pathology lab for a number of years.
2: So was that during Vietnam War?
1: That was the Vietnam War, yes.
2: Okay, so you were helping casualties of the war.
1: Yes, we were in a receiving hospital on the mainland. I never saw action overseas. But my job as a biochemist was in the hospital doing the routine biochemistry that's required for men and women who had returned with wounds from overseas.
2: Okay. So this kind of interrupted your career path. What impact did that have on your career path?
1: My career, although I returned to biochemistry in private practice, I wasn't working at the bench, as we would call it, but I was working in developing new computer systems for the pathology labs at that time and so I Took a bit of a left turn as a so as to speak in terms of my career as a biochemist in what way? Well, I wasn't directly pursuing biochemistry as such. I was involved in uh, designing computing systems that would analyze results and put them out to the doctors or to the patients in a more orderly fashion and although I enjoyed doing that There wasn't really the satisfaction, and I was away from home a good deal of the time. And uh, that resulted in, by this time, having four children, wanting to be home more. And by necessity, I moved from that occupation into teaching.
2: Okay, so you're married, you have four children, but uh, I'm sensing, as you mentioned, not really satisfied with your career at that point.
0: Not at all.
1: We dropped a considerable amount of income in order for me to be retrained as a teacher. But I never really found that I was achieving a great deal in terms of my satisfaction and my ability to to grow in that kind of position. I was certainly successful in that in terms of the, the students and the reports that I got from parents and colleagues and principals. But towards the latter part of my teaching, I went into more vocational style of education in Victoria, and looking back, that probably was where the Lord was taking me all the time because I was a hands-on teacher mm-hmm. rather than an academic teacher, and I had a, a compassion for people who had, who had struggled all their life. And so those students who struggled in year 9, year 10, I finished up looking after them in year 11 and in 12.
2: So did you end up doing what you enjoyed?
1: Not entirely. Uh, I guess that I know that the, in the latter part of the, my teaching days, there were students that I took from a hopeless situation to where they are today successful in their careers, mainly trades. But uh, it took a great toll because a good deal of the colleagues and good deal of the establishment was not in favour of this type of education when I was involved in it. And that's where the disillusionment came. It's where the disappointments came. And I guess the lack of recognition of what was being done wasn't there.
2: Mm. Anything else contribute to your frustration in your career?
1: Possibly along the way, for me, there were failures. I always was trying to, to improve myself, and I wasn't an academic as such. And so when I set out to study, I found that I had difficulty doing that, and it really wasn't until later in my life that I found that I really did have a reading issue. I found that I could visually learn very well and have a a good skill in the things that I do have. I learned by visually learning rather than by reading, and today Mm. that's still an issue for me, that uh, I admire the people that can sit and read and read and read and write and write. Yeah. But I also admire the people that learn by watching and looking and basically are self-starters.
2: Now, this was years and years ago before people realized that people learn in different ways. Now, I think, hopefully, people are a little bit more open to different ways of learning and hands-on learning. Is that right?
1: Very true. Mm-hmm. And I was in the early stages of that, that change where people saw that there were many different ways to learn, and we were really a composite of all of them. Some of them had greater influence in our learning than others, mm-hmm. other styles of learning.
2: But at the time, you just felt like you didn't fit and weren't appreciated.
1: Correct, yeah.
2: Okay, so all this is going on, and then you had a stroke.
1: At then, beginning of the school year, I had an atypical stroke. Uh, something that caught me by surprise, and uh, I was away from my duties for a month or more while I recuperated, but then it was some time that I realized that I just couldn't continue in the terms of my job, and I finished up
2: my employment.
1: And then the real depression started. What, Um, What were
2: you advised when this happened?
1: No advice whatsoever. Oh. No advice. You weren't warned that
2: that might happen after a stroke, depression?
1: I was advised by the medicos that you know anyone with uh, head trauma uh, would be take two years to recuperate. Mm-hmm. But in terms of support for that in my employment, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that the decisions were made that if I couldn't teach in a classroom, then I probably wasn't of value to the system.
2: Now, what caused the stroke in the first place?
1: My stroke took place. It was a typical, of blockage in my brain, um, on the weekend of the fires that devastated uh, Melbourne in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. And I was probably should have been one of the statistics of people who died as a result of dehydration and stress and whatever. That's the only explanation I've got that that uh, I had a, a blockage. It was probably dehydration mm-hmm. in the long term. I attended the local hospital uh, emergency service and I can still see the medical officer who attended me and said, I think it's this, I'm not sure, but I have to find out. And I guess without his astuteness and probably divine intervention, I probably wouldn't have survived that weekend.
2: Wow. Now you're talking about the Black Saturday fires of That's 2009. Correct.
1: I have no recollection of that whole week and that weekend and the, the aftermath at all.
2: Oh, wow. So maybe there's just the stress of that crazy time added to uh, your health stress?
1: Possibly. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have friends that have lost folks in that, uh, those fires. Yeah. They talk about it to me, and uh, I have no empathy whatsoever at all because I have no emotional attachment to whatever happened in that, that time.
2: Wow. So you have a physical reaction, a stroke. But then later, as you were starting to talk about, there was the psychological impact. What happened?
1: And I think that once your career is abruptly ended and your employment has ended, then you begin to have doubts as to what you achieved and what you should have done and what you could have done Mm. and whether what you did was of any value. Uh, When there's no one around to talk about that or to emphasize with you, um, it becomes an internalization and you begin to... See a darker side than what is really there, and it, you embellish it in your thinking and your thoughts, yep, and as a christian, of course you 're trying to keep a a sense of peace and a sense of relationship with God, but the old enemy well
2: yeah, I was just going to say that the enemy wants you to think you 're worthless and no good, and all that kind of stuff, right
1: absolutely, mm-hmm. and reminds you of things that were probably small incidences in the past, but they become very big incidents as you think about mm. them. You know, things that you perhaps could have done better or mm. things that you have picked up on you didn't yeah. do, or students who had made comments about how bad it was, and then even the even the real positives.
2: So there were some wonderful accomplishments, but in life we can look at the glass half empty or half full. Yes. And at this time it looked like you were looking at the empty part.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the enemy does make that. He blots out all the positives. He doesn't want you to know those. He just wants you to focus on the things that were failures where they probably weren't.
2: So he wants you to be miserable.
1: Correct.
0: You're listening to The Story. Our guest today is David Percy from the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. He's sharing his life journey and how he was a bit disappointed and frustrated at the way his career path had been going when he suffered a stroke. However, as we'll hear, a dog unexpectedly enters his life and has a huge impact on him. All that and more is coming up when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is David Percy, who was a bit disappointed and frustrated at the way his career path had been going when he suffered a stroke. This sent him further into depression, which was showing no signs of letting up. Next, we'll hear the remarkable thing that happened when God places a dog in David's life.
1: Well, the dog was the turnaround. The dog came some five years after this. So this was not just after the, the events of the...
2: Oh, okay, the, much, uh, much later.
1: Yes, the dog came.
2: Yeah, how did the dog come? How did the dog enter into the picture?
1: The dog came as a result of of one of the family members purchasing a puppy from a breeder who had two of the uh, Pyrenean mountain dogs that she bred that needed to be rehoused. Mm -hmm. She herself had actually gone through the Black Saturday, Mm -hmm. lost her home, lost the kennels, lost some of her breeding stud, and uh, these two dogs, one of which I eventually took, came from her kennel. Okay. And I remember her saying, David... This dog is following you. She doesn't follow males. Oh! Now the reason for that is that she'd been on the farm, and uh, supposedly as a sheep dog, because that's what they are. You know, mm-hmm. similar to the the Miramas that everyone talks about, but these are the French version, not the Italian dog. And uh, she had been abused because as soon as it rained, she'd come home and leave the sheep in the paddock. And uh, we believe that she was quite savagely beaten
2: hmm. um,
1: there are some such scars on it and a few uh, other oh.
2: so is that why that, that... that dog didn't like men
1: and that's why she didn't like men Yeah. and when I brought her home um, it took me a long time to re-socialize her uh, when my friends would come in she would bark and you know, rear up and cowl away from it so, and I found that also that in the backyard if I picked up the hose or a piece of timber or anything like that, would to burn in the fire, she would run. So she had been well and truly abused.
2: But but you said that that dog, for some reason, would follow you. It made an exception for you.
1: That is correct, and uh, I don't know to this day why. Yeah. But having her now in my our possession for three years, she is the most adorable and a daring dog she follows me all around the place she'll sit on the couch next to me and she will paw lift her paw saying pat me pat me pat me
2: <laughs> and if
1: we stop doing that she will continue to do that and uh, it took my mind off my immediate woes and I had to care for this dog and I had to look after her because he became totally dependent upon me wow. and that's where the, the story starts to be positive
2: yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden here you're, you're kind of depressed and you're given this abused dog. Yep. What happens?
1: Well, I had to look after her. Mm-hmm. I had to feed her. I had to give her water. I had to take her for a walk. And all of a sudden my closed off environment where I was not willing to go out or socialize with other people, I had to change my, initially very slowly, mm-hmm. I had to attend to the needs of an animal. Yeah. And I began to be realized that you know animals in God's care is equally important as his care for me is, hmm. and so I began to see my creator hmm. as uh, a God that cared for his animals but he also cared for me and this slowly changed my thinking around to the fact that we are so blessed with what God has done is doing and continues to do for us and uh, as I had to do and continue to do for the dog
2: so this dog that probably shouldn't have liked you. I mean, nothing personal, but you're a guy, and it probably was abused by a man. It shouldn't have liked you for all intents and purposes. Correct. But for some reason, it liked you and only you.
1: That's correct. Up to that point of time, if the, if my wife came in, or if a female came in, or my my daughters came in, the dog would sit there and wag a tail, do everything else. But if a male come in, my sons or my friends she would tell she would mm. run and even now there is some times when if i'm out walking with her she'll see a, a, a man on the street she'll stop and she'll move in it's a great experience when a dog wants to get closer to you and keeps on pushing into you <laughs> leaning into god is the kind of expression we would say yeah. in our churches and that's what she does to me and every time she does that I'm reminded that that's what I need and can do and would do do in terms of my Heavenly Father.
2: Wow, that's fantastic. So in a sense, though, looking back, you needed this dog.
1: Yes, yes, I did need the dog. And
2: yep. this dog needed you.
1: And the dog needed me, yep, yep. And together we've, we've walked this journey. She's now much more a lovable dog and is not as fearful as she used to be. Mm-hmm. And I, likewise, are not as depressed as I used to be. There's another side to life when you can appreciate life and appreciate the protection that uh, I give the dog and also God gives to me. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and the provision mm-hmm. that uh, comes from the Heavenly Father. And, you know, every day I feed this dog, I refer to as the star border. She mm. sleeps, <laughs> eats, sleeps, as dogs do. Um, but it's it's a visual sign to me every morning. When I spend time in devotions, I see this dog and I see, God, you gave me this dog. Every time I see her, I'm reminded that I have to be thankful for what I'm receiving day by day from the Father.
2: And how is the depression going?
1: It comes and goes. There's still the anxiety there. Um, But I've learned that seeking the peace... um, I've mentioned that I haven't been a a strong reader all my life, Mm -hmm. but I committed to spend time listening to Scripture, Mm -hmm. reading and listening to Scripture, and that is really the most joyful experience, but it's also the most peaceful experience that comes when we can dwell on the Word, just reading and soaking in the things that Mm -hmm. have been read or have been written for us long ago but are still recorded, in our scripture, in our Bible, and it it really is an excitement in my life mm-hmm. to to know that things of that are two thousand years old and beyond are still blessing me as I read about the the Old Testament uh, history and the Old Testament course of the God's you know red line through the the biblical ages and what He's doing currently
2: today. So, if I'm understanding correctly, this dog was kind of the catalyst for growth spiritual growth in your life.
1: That is true too. Because of the the years that I was in a little bit of turmoil in my employment, mm-hmm. there was also turmoil within my church. Mm-hmm. And I stood up for some very godly principles and the eldership didn't really accept what I was saying. There was some indiscretion within various ranks and I became as a scapegoat of the church that I loved. Mm. And so during this period of 10 years of the stroke and even a little bit before, I was not in a fellowship that really wanted me to be there.
2: Mm. Oh, I'm sorry and, to hear that. You know,
1: God actually does things strangely. I questioned God many, many times as to why all this was happening. But out of it has become the peacefulness of knowing Him in a much more personal and intimate way, although I would say that I walked in the statutes of the Scripture very closely all my life. Mm-hmm. But there comes a time when God is so personal, so uh, refreshingly fatherly
2: to mm-hmm. us. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, the scripture, I've read it many, many times in my life. Abba, Abba, Father. I never really understood what to say, Father, I know you. And that's what came out of all this relationship with the dog.
2: Oh, really? How so? Yep.
1: I know I preached when I was preaching in days gone by about knowing the Father, knowing the Son, knowing the Spirit, and why do we always pray in the name of Jesus? But, you know, we're really talking to the Father. We're praying, you know, that way. And it became aware that my Heavenly Father was my Father. Yeah. And Jesus was my Saviour and Brother, but Lord for my life. Um, And the Spirit communes between us all, and that, that threeness is equally important but it's my father, it's God, alternative God, the creator that really is most interested in me. Mm-hmm. And I believe interested in the dog, too.
2: Yeah, so how did your relationship with the dog teach you that lesson about your heavenly father?
1: Right back in the beginning of Genesis, where we were given the responsibility in the creation story of being the husbandry to our livestock and mm-hmm. so forth. And it took my mind back to the fact that this was God, the creator. Mm. Now there's the whole theological stuff around that. But it was my God the Creator, my father was the was the sole purpose of my living, to give honour and praise to him. Mm-hmm. And when I came to be the husbandry of this husband of this dog, or the husband looking after this dog, I suddenly realised that all of this is at the hands of my father. Mm-hmm. And I became into a, a stronger relationship to appreciate how God the creator God the the Father was so interested in sending Christ to redeem his world after many times of trying in other ways. He sent Jesus to die in our place, and Jesus was his son. Mm -hmm. And I am now re-energized to be part of the redeemed circle of uh, folks in this world who see him as our our Father. So it all came about as having a responsibility of care for someone else. Yeah.
2: Well, unfortunately, we're quickly running out of time, but we haven't mentioned the name of the dog.
1: The dog is Marinella.
2: Marinella, she's a French
1: lady. Mm-hmm. The uh, she's a as i mentioned, she's a Pyrenean mountain dog. They grew up in the Alps of the Pyrenees in France. When she was born, the, the breeder wanted to call them all by French names, so Marinella is a French name,
2: oh, okay. meaning a lady. And her favorite activity?
1: Sleeping. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Here, I thought you were going to say something like going for a walk or something. But Well, day. you
1: mentioned that word and she'll be up ready to go. But yeah. uh, the majority of the time, they're, they're known to be, uh, it is reputed to be the oldest uh, castle dog ever.
2: Oh, okay. The
1: breed goes back three or 4,000 years. And they were designed to sleep across the, or they, they were bred to sleep across the drawbridge. And if you came in as a friend, they would let you in. If they sensed any trouble and any sort of uh, fear, mm. they would arc up and they wouldn't let you cross the drawbridge. So most of their time, they sleep.
2: Oh, okay. So David, in conclusion, we're kind of wrapping up our conversation today. Where do you think you would be if you had not met this dog, Maranoa?
1: Truthfully, if the dog hadn't come into my life at the point that it did, I have no idea where I would be today. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was desperately hanging on to my faith. I had no other props or whatever to go to. And it was the dog that brought me back to realize that it was really God's provision. It was God's time for me to understand that He really still loved me and cared for me. And it was in Him that I could find my way out of the depression.
2: Wow. Well, I guess the Bible says God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And sometimes He uses a dog.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that is actually my favorite verse in the scripture, actually.
2: So, what a wonderful story. This mutual growing between the two of you, a man and his dog.
1: Man and his dog. Who would have ever thought?
2: <laughs> well, I tell you what. So, would you please give Marinella a biscuit for me? Would you do that? I will. <laughs> well, thank I you will. so much, David, for sharing this wonderful story with us.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eric.
0: Well as the old saying goes, dogs are man's best friend And for David Percy, a dog was just what he needed in his life What a refreshing story of how God can meet our needs And pull us out of the depths of despair in some of the most unexpected ways Who would have thought a dog that had been abused and would cower in a corner Would be the instrument God would use for healing and helping pull David out of his depression Remarkable But as Eric just mentioned, God uses the seemingly foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And it really shouldn't surprise us because therapy dogs are being used all the time these days after tragedies to help brighten the lives of survivors. Actually, they found that petting a dog or a cat can lower blood pressure and cuts down on levels of stress. So dogs, or pets in general really are a tremendous blessing from God in many ways and one we shouldn't take for granted. Well, thanks for joining us for an uplifting story about a man and his dog. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
1: Now, I'm a tough 20-year-old, and by then it had been many, many years since I'd lost the fight, but here I am lying on the floor. But the other thing that really amazed me was I began to howl like a baby and I'm lying on the floor, and I'm crying my heart out, and about every 10 or 15 seconds, there's a neon sign that flashes before my mind. It says, Michael, Jesus loves you. And every time I saw that sign, I just cried more, and more, and more. I had no power to resist Jesus' love at that point.
0: Well, Michael Rafferty's story starts off pretty rough. He grew up in an orphanage, where he quickly learned to never let anyone see him cry, and he got into many fights. However, when God's love eventually broke through, it radically changed the direction of his life. We'll hear how God uses Michael's life in an amazing way next time. The Story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.